Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show, a podcast devoted to helping you take your message, your business, and your life to the next level. This, my friends, is episode number 493, and I am your host, Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man. In this week's episode, I'm not going in the direction I thought I was going to go. In fact, I just stopped recording about 17 minutes into what was going to be episode 493, and I just didn't like where... It was going. It, it, it In my mind, it was sounding boring as I was talking about it. And the reason why is because I was reading a lot of quotes from the book, Thou Shall Prosper. Maybe I can share with you just an overview of what is in what they call, I will call a chapter. There are no chapters in the book, this, Thou Shall Prosper. It's broken into these things called the Ten Commandments of you know, making money, or I guess if you will. But in... Episode 491, I talked about the idea that many of us feel this sense of shame, and we shouldn't, I propose that we should not feel any shame at all in the idea of receiving money for the services that we provide, and so many of you resonated with that and said, hey, I would love to hear you talk more about money and, and wealth and and the, uh, the mindset behind it. And so in last week's episode 492, I shared some of my own Christian upbringing and the messaging I got from that, and also shared with you the very first piece of content that helped me understand that wealth is not a limited resource. Those are in the previous two episodes to this one. And I thought episode 493, I would read to you a lot of um, quotes from this book, but again, it wasn't sounding all that great. So let me just give you an overview of what's in this first chapter of Thou Shall Prosper, this first commandment, if you will. And the first commandment is simply believe in the dignity and morality of business. And the problem, and I talked about this last week a little bit from my own Christian upbringing, was that the idea of pursuing more than what we need to survive, there was a lot in my programming, upbringing, my exposure to a lot of Christian messaging that that stated that maybe not only is the pursuit of wealth and money and having more than what you need to survive is not only is it bad, but it may even call into question your faith in God. I mean, that that's how strong that message was for me. Now, in the book, Thou Shall Prosper, this first commandment chapter section or whatever you want to call it, the idea here is that um, he states that it's not just the evangelical Christian upbringing that I have, but society and culture altogether, uh, the sources of education, some of the things that were taught in college and universities, uh, they, they don't, they're not very happy about the way they feel about businessmen and the pursuit of wealth and profit as a business person. He also talks about and gives many examples of the media, movies, television, and how they're portraying business people as villains, if you will. So, and and he gives lots of examples of that. And there's this one study that said that by the age of 18, the average TV viewer has seen businessmen attempt more than 10,000 murders and countless other lesser offenses all in the name of greed. So if, if you just, as, as of today, if you're 18 years old today or older, You've seen at least 10,000 murders and countless other offenses in the name of greed committed on television by business people. That is what our culture is teaching. 
the interesting thing he says here is that our culture today will tell you that the pursuit of money and profit and wealth is bad. But he says that the interesting thing is that if you do anything in the pers- for the pursuit of sexual pleasure, you, you, it's not only not considered immoral, but it's romanticized. And an example he gave was uh, People Magazine in 1996 had a cover story called The Greatest Love Stories of the Century. And he explains that more than half of the couples that were lauded as this romantic tale were actually couples that were having relationships outside of their marriages, that, 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 that wives and husbands were completely distraught, children uh, broken up from their families, and yet, um, you know, obviously in, in the, the Christian and even the Jewish background, the idea of, of breaking the marital vows and having sex with someone outside of marriage, it, that's, that's not necessarily a very moral thing for those who, who hold marriage in high esteem. And yet our culture today, it, it romanticizes that. You look at our movies today, look at all of our, 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 our media today, how much of it is, it, it just, it, it celebrates sexual relationships everywhere. Yet, and, and here's the messaging. This, it's, he said the message here is that our culture is broadcasting. If you cause unbearable pain to others while in pursuit of your ser- sexual pleasure, you will find understanding and sympathy. However, if you are a business person causing even the slightest tinge of discomfort to others while in pursuit of profit or wealth, you are immediately and unconditionally condemned as immoral. Our culture today will tell you that if you're a business person and you cause even the slightest bit of discomfort to anyone, you're an immoral person. But if you happen to do things in, 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 in fulfillment of your sexual desires and gratification, our culture romanticizes that. <laughs> Very interesting kind of dichotomy there. Now, the other thing he proposes is that even business people themselves kind of give business a bad name. One example is like those who become extremely uh, wealthy and then they make notable contributions to others. He says, whenever a notable philanthropist makes a public gift, there's usually one phrase that comes up and it's called giving back to society. As if he says, it's almost like they're saying, isn't it wonderful that he is finally giving something back to society? And he asks the question, is referring to charitable contribution as giving back to society, isn't that implying that for-profit activities that created wealth in the first place are somehow somehow taking from society? This idea that if is, is, is wealth a limited resource? And if it is, if you are building wealth, then you've obviously taken that, that wealth that you have is as the result of having taken it from someone. And of course, that's why I shared last week in episode 492, uh, where I talked about wealth being something that is an unlimited resource, that that we can create wealth out of nothing, and that when there is an exchange between two parties that have both agreed that this is a valuable exchange, that both people walk away wealthier. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I 
encourage you to listen to that. Now, what I want to do, I, I haven't queued this up here. I think my audio level should be okay. I want to play for you a, quit, a quote that I heard on This Week in Tech, which is one of the podcasts I listen to every week. Listen to this. Bill Gates has turned out to be, you know, he's a, he's a pretty smart guy. And I, I'll tell you what, I knew him way back when. And the transformation that he has made from ruthless capitalist <laughs> mm-hmm. to the guy who is obsessed he is as, he is as obsessed with saving the lives of children now as he was with you know selling PCs back in you know 1983 speaking of saving lives the bill and melinda gates annual letter for their foundation was great they start with a letter from warren buffett to them last december Saying, you know, because Buffett made a historically huge, I think the huge, the largest donation ever in history to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And he said, now, of course, a, a nonprofit, a foundation isn't the same as as a business. And so an annual report on your profit and so forth isn't the same thing. But it would be nice for me and others to know what you did with my money. <laughs> in other words, a scorecard. And I loved it because Bill and Melinda took him at his word and said, okay. They said, 10 years ago when we got first word of your gift to the foundation, we were speechless. It was the biggest single gift anyone ever gave anybody for anything. And we know we owe you a fantastic return on your investment. And this is the the return that they said. The number of children's lives saved 122 million since 1990. You know, uh, wow. and they and they, they explain where this, this number comes from, the number of childhood deaths uh, since 1990. Kids under five has been cut in half, in great part because of inoculations that the, the Gates Foundation has provided worldwide, reducing childhood mortality, education, nutrition. They say the best deal is vaccinations. Global vaccination coverage is at its highest that it's ever been. And a lot of this comes from that money that Warren Buffett and Bill and others gave to the foundation. Okay, so that's the quote. Now, what I want to do is I want to emphasize how there's a lot of praise going on with this panel of how amazing this wealth, this wealth, this accumulated wealth between Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, the two of them combining together and and making a positive impact in the world with their charitable giving. And there's no question in my mind that this is a wonderful thing, right? That they are saving children's lives. They're wiping out malaria. I mean, just all of these things that everyone just says, wow, that is incredible. It is such a wonderful thing to see those things happen. Now, the interesting thing, though, is... Would any of it, any of that be possible if Bill and Melinda Gates or Warren Buffett adopted the mindset that the pursuit of wealth and having anything more than what they needed to survive was bad? Would any of those things happen? Would they be able to give so charitably and save the lives of millions of children around the world and all these other things that they have done. This is just what it's incredible what their organization has done. And the interesting thing, go back to the beginning. I want to play the very beginning of this and listen to this. Bill Gates has turned out to be, you know, he's a, he's a 
pretty smart guy. And I, I'll tell you what, I knew him way back when, and the transformation that he has made from ruthless capitalist. <laughs> right there. And you even heard the laugh. <laughs> ruthless capitalist. Now, the interesting thing is what they will teach you and what has been taught in culture is that the the idea is it's okay once you start giving back. This idea that these guys are finally doing something. They've made the transition. He's finally transitioned from the criminal. <laughs> I mean, that's the language. You know, he says ruthless capitalist. What What is a ruthless capitalist? A ruthless, well, meaning that I'm going to pursue the build, the the building of wealth, right? I'm going to pursue generating great wealth based upon free trade. That's something we talked about last week. What free trade and and stuff like that. But they, so he so Bill Gates accumulated for himself massive amounts of wealth because he was a very shrewd businessman. Which, by the way, being a shrewd manager of wealth is something that Jesus told a story that he was very, very much in favor of, being a shrewd manager, right? So, but anyway, Bill Gates was a very shrewd business person, a very shrewd capitalist, someone who is building wealth based upon free trade, offering products and services of value. And and yet it's, you know, as he was in, CEO, founder, chairman of Microsoft, he was seen as the villain, somebody who needed his hand slapped by the federal government, you know, somebody who had to be kept in check and all of these other things because he is a greedy son of a gun who is doing nothing more than just massing all of this wealth for himself. What a greedy, arrogant, ruthless capitalist, right? And finally, it wasn't until later in life after he retires and and walks away and becomes a philanthropist that he is seen as somebody who has transitioned finally into a moral character. Is that what is being said here? Do you agree? Let me play it one more time right here. Right here He's it is. A pretty smart guy. And I, I'll tell you what, I knew him way back when and the transformation that he has made from ruthless capitalist <laughs> So the transformation from this totally immoral, ruthless capitalist to the very moral and very charitable giver that he is today. Now, think about this, though. What what value did Bill Gates have in this world? What value did he offer the world before that? Think about all of the people that were employed to build the software. Think about all the the engineers and the software developers that were given great and very prosperous careers. Think of all the families that were provided for. Think about all of the all of the tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people who were have been employed by Microsoft over the years to build that company, the salaries they received, the benefits of health insurance coverage, and all of the, the just the, the livings that were made as a result of Microsoft's pursuit of wealth and profit, okay? Then think about all of the companies in the world 
and all of the other benefits that benefited by having computer software that allowed them to interact with each other. All the other software companies that came up out of it, think about all the software companies that had thousands, even even tens of thousands of, of employees of other companies who created software that worked with Microsoft. Think about all the different companies that developed and built computers and all of the components that go into the computers that were sold because there was this very popular platform known as Microsoft that that made the PC industry an industry where everyone could have a computer that they knew this software would work. I mean, just think about all of the all of the many gosh, we're talking probably millions and millions and millions of lives that have been positively impacted and wealth added to their lives as a result of Bill Gates being a businessman and one who pursued wealth and pursued the building and the growth and the the continued expansion of Microsoft as a company. The thing is, is we're in this little quote that I played from from uh, this week in tech, yes, it is a truly wonderful thing to hear about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the philanthropy arm of what they're doing, the amount of wealth that now that he's retired, that he's using to to do things in society, not to give back, but just to give, because giving back indicates or or kind of just says, validates this idea that he has taken from society all of these years. No, his wealth, Bill Gates' wealth, is just a small percentage of the overall wealth that he has created in this world from his business pursuits. And that wealth has been accumulated. And sure, Bill Gates probably has multiple houses. He has some things and and some physical pleasures and 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 possessions and and things of that nature. He has some of those things that people think, well, what what's he gonna? Why does he need all of that? He has all this extra money. Why not? You know, and we all are quick to judge at times what other people have and what they do with their money, but. The idea here and and what this book really is getting into in this first commandment, believing in the dignity and morality of business, what Rabbi Daniel Lappin is saying is he's like, hey, making money is much harder if deep down you suspect it to be a morally reprehensible activity. So the interesting thing here, he says, believing that making money is a selfish activity will undermine anyone's chances for success. And um, he says here, he says, if you feel really good about your profession, you sweep others along with you on the waves of your enthusiasm for what you do. You will become known for telling entertaining count accounts of amusing incidents in your professional life. Stories about events in your business day can inspire others, and they will be moved by the poignant interactions you relate these natural and positive impacts of your public persona flow inevitably from feeling pride and passion for your work. So he, what he's saying, he's, he's like, listen, you would have vast additional power to inject into your enterprise if you simply 
develop this deep conviction that what you're doing has intrinsic moral value. And this is something that I can say has been true for me. I have been able to, over the years, benefit from getting excited and talking about the success that I've had. I used to feel guilty about talking about some of the success that I had. But then all of a sudden I heard stories of people telling me how inspired they feel and how much it's been motivating them. And in the idea it says that you will be known for telling these accounts and people will be swept along in your waves of enthusiasm for what you do and, and people will have this positive regard for who you are and what you're accomplishing and what you're doing in the world because of your business and They'll want to do business with you because of how they feel about that. And more importantly, they will want to do business with you because of how you feel about what you do. He says to inquire more money, you need to work on far more than merely learning new skills on the different aspects of what you need to do in your business. He says you fundamentally need to change yourself. Now, what he's talking about is that you need to change how you feel about money, about how you feel about charging others for what you do, and about how you feel about becoming wealthy in the process. He says that if feeling passion and pride for your work helps me talk enthusiastically about what I do, so does talking excitedly about my work increases the passion and the pride I feel for it. So he suggests suggests that you not only get to the place where you feel okay about making a profit, that you feel okay about the fact that your business is morally good, but in fact he's saying that he's suggesting that what will even further fuel your success is talking about how your business is serving others talking about how your business is adding value to the lives of others and being excited about telling the stories of how your business is helping you build greater wealth for yourself. And then my question is, but what if the people that I surround myself get tired of me talking so much about what I do and how much I love my business and how much it's helping me and helping others? Well, that's where it's important for us to be intentional about the people who we circle ourselves with, who who are our friends that we are interacting with. Now, here are some quotes that I have come up with over the years. Uh, First of all, the, the one that I always refer to, there's this guy named Jim Rohn, and he says, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Now, for me, what that means is it's necessary for us at times to change the people that we surround ourselves with if we want to have financial success. And so, me, I intentionally do life with and interact most with people who are very much okay with the idea of pursuing wealth. I surround myself with people who are financially motivated, who are seeking great profit and are doing so with fervor and excitement and enjoy. And I surround myself, I intentionally do life with people who believe that it's moral for us, that believes that it's actually us interacting with the world, providing value, the services that we offer 
are having a powerful and positive impact and that anybody who buys a product or a service that we offer, that they are getting more value from it. More, they, they benefit from it at least as much and hopefully even more than the value that we receive in money in exchange for what we've given them. That we can add, that that they will have even a greater return on their investment. Those are the kinds of people I have intentionally chose to do life with. And I call this, my the, the people that I think of when I think of this, the people that I've intentionally done life with. Since October 2010, I have created a mastermind group. It, today it's called the Green Room Mastermind. And the people who are in my mastermind, the people that I surround myself, the people that I talk to the most about how I feel about the awesome things that are going on in my business, the awesome goals that I have for increasing my revenue, increasing my profits, increasing the efficiency of what I do, the people that I do life with, the ones that I share those kinds of thoughts with on a consistent basis every single week now for years, Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income, Michael Stelzner, the guy behind Social Media Marketing World, uh, you know, in Social Media Examiner, Ray Edwards from RayEdwards.com, very extremely financially successful online coach, helping people learning how to sell their products with words. Um, Mark Mason, who helps people understand affiliate marketing like nobody else over at Late Night Internet Marketing. And Leslie Samuel, who is having his own mindset and mental breakthroughs on money and profitability. It's been an exciting journey to see him come along and how his life has changed as a result of his understanding of money and wealth and the pursuit of it. This is something that Leslie has been struggling with for the last couple years. And I'm not just sharing something that I shouldn't be sharing with you publicly. Leslie's been talking about this publicly in his online live live streams, his podcast. He's reading the book, Thou Shall Prosper. I think he's actually going through it a second time now. And it's been exciting to see how how he's been influenced by intentionally being a part of this mastermind himself. So some exciting things are happening when you intentionally do life with other people who believe just as strongly or sometimes even maybe they believe even more strongly than you that business is something of great dignity and that it is a moral pursuit, all right? Here are just a few more quotes from the book and and these are the only quotes that I'm gonna read to you. It says here, to really succeed in whatever is the business of your choice, you have to come to understand and utterly absorb into your being the fundamentally true idea that your activities in business are virtuous and moral. Provided, of course, that you conduct your business affairs honestly and honorably. Absorb this lesson into your heart and into your soul, and you will have overcome a major hurdle on your road to financial achievement. You must respect the dignity and morality of business. You must see the activity of making money itself as good, regardless of whether you use the money you earn for a good purpose. People at my training seminars often respond when I ask them why they want to make money by telling me that they will be able to do good by giving a lot of money to charity. We must all understand that in a free, transparent, and honest marketplace, You cannot make the money in the first place 
without benefiting other people. If you subsequently choose to give money away, that is fine, but it is not the justification for making money. The rule is that people seldom excel at any occupation that deep down they consider unworthy. And even if they are neutral about the morality of business, that neutrality is a weak read on which to build success. You can easily imagine what an enormous competitive advantage is acquired by the business professional who really believes, no, really, really believes with every microscopic molecule of his or her being that doing business is one of the most moral and best things to do. If only you understood the extent to which your chosen profession is vilified by so many of those among whom you live, do you stand any chance at all of expunging the subtle self-hatred from your own soul? There is so much more in this book, Thou Shall Prosper, and this first section called The First Commandment. But what he's talking about is the understanding that we need to believe in the dignity and the morality of business. And if you are struggling with that, even after all of the things that I've shared here, or if any of this is just starting to get you excited about thinking about business and charging money and for products and services, and the idea that the it's okay for you to take the money that you've sir that you've earned and use it to save up for your future uh, retirement, to save up for. Uh, emergency funds, and to even save up for maybe a couple extra fun vacations for you and your family, to do things for yourself, to to reward yourself for things. If if you are even like mildly entertained by the idea that there's something more for you in the understanding of money and having a mindset of pursuing wealth, I highly encourage you to check out the book, Thou Shall Prosper, This, my friends, has been a total game changer for me over the years. And again, I've shared this many times with you. It's taken me a very long time to get through this book. I haven't even completed the book yet. This is like the eighth time I've gone through this first huge section. And finally, I believe now that I've shared my heart with the world about the things, how my mindset has changed over the years, how this makes me excited about what I've been able to accomplish in my business and and just how it's just influenced me. This this first section, having consumed it so deeply, that that I it's kept me so focused on the messaging and and allowing it to permeate my programming deep inside my subconscious thought about how I feel about money. Now that I've finally shared it, now that I've, and who knows, I may need to come back and remind myself again later, but now I'm excited to finally jump into some further sections in this book. And if there's some other stuff in there down the road as I get deeper into this book, I'll come here and share some of those exciting things with you as well. But definitely wanted to share that. And the exciting thing is that I've been very encouraged by the feedback from those of you who have said, hey, this really is touching on something that I've struggled with. I have always struggled with feeling shame for charging for things that I'm gifted at, the things that I love, and and hopefully I will, after this episode, that if you don't already have a sincere mindset change about dignity and morality of building a business, I hope that this episode will be a catalyst for changing your mind 
about those things. Well, my friends, as I'm recording this, I'm getting ready to head out to San Diego, California for Social Media Marketing World, where I will be networking with several thousand people. I'm super excited to talk this week. I'm going to be doing a session called Everything You Need to Know to Start Your Podcast. And of course, I've got an, it's a brand new talk I haven't done before. It's going to be a combination of two different talks that I've done in the past and one of the tutorials that I've created over the years. And I'm going to put it together in one session that I believe is really going to be extremely beneficial to anybody in that audience who is thinking about launching a podcast. And I believe it might even be beneficial to some people out there who have started one and may not be as clued in as they think they are about how podcasting works, what's so exciting about it, and uh, I'm hoping that I'll have plenty of time for Q&A as well. And then, of course, I will be on another session, and it's something about how to get beyond your first 100 episodes. It's it's basically, I guess, the idea is where do you come up with so much content that you can do 100 episodes? It's going to be led by Mark Mason. I know it's going to be wonderful. I can't wait to hang out there. I get to hang out. Every single member of my Green Room Mastermind is going to be in San, San Diego, and one of the things that I'm looking forward to is having dinner together, all five of us in one place because we normally meet virtually online every week to do our phone call for the green room. But uh, getting all five of us together face-to-face is always, uh, it's something to look forward to and and I'm looking forward to that as well. Anyway, for those of you who, uh, well, actually I'm releasing this on Friday. So by the time this goes out, I will already have, finished up at Social Media Marketing World. I think it's the final day of Social Media Marketing World and I'll be flying home on Saturday. So by the time you're listening to this, if you were there, hopefully we got to hang out. Hopefully we got to see each other in the hallways. I definitely plan on on doing that, making myself as openly available as I possibly can uh, and and I'm just looking forward to it. So if, if you are hearing my voice and we had the opportunity to interact with one another, it, I'm so glad that we did. <laughs> In advance, I'm a, I'm very thankful for that. But uh, I definitely wanted to record this episode before heading out to Social Media Marketing World, so this will be released while I'm away. And uh, I look forward to coming back next week and maybe sharing with you some insights and and some kind of uh, inspiration that I got from the event, maybe some interactions with some of you, maybe some things that you guys had shared, maybe tell you a story or two. Who knows? We'll be back again next week. Hey, before I let you go, though, I do want to say that my next session of podcasting A to Z is coming up very soon. Monday, May 1st, we'll be here before we know it. If you are thinking about launching your very own podcast, but you've been putting it off, if you think that, you know, I just, there's so much tech involved in this thing. Let me just tell you, I, I plan on coming back in, in the future and telling you a story about a 70-year-old, a 75-year-old lady who had a lot of struggle with the technology of setting up a podcast, but she successfully launched her podcast in my 29th session of Podcasting A to Z, which just wrapped up. So I, I, I will be sharing her story very soon. But if you've been thinking, ah, just the technology, I just don't know if I can get it, I will be your personal coach walking you through every step in the process. If you are struggling with, I just don't know what topic, you know, I've got so many different passions. I don't even know where to begin, where to focus. It's like, I'm just really struggling. I can't figure that out. I can help you there as well. 
I can help you. I would love to be your personal coach walking you through every single step in the process of successfully launching your podcast. And if you already have a podcast, I've had plenty of you out there who have had a podcast already come through Podcasting A to Z. This is literally your opportunity to have me as your personal coach answering every single question you have for four weeks. Head over to podcastingatoz.com. I would love to work with you. Until next time, my friends, I encourage you to take everything you do and your thoughts about money, wealth, and ruthless capitalism to the next level. Talk to you soon. Podcast! Add some man.